Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Plagued by political instability from London all the way to Rome, European capitals are struggling to keep up with an ever-changing reality in which a growing list of global and intra-European woes are seemingly too much to bear. Indeed, not far from the very studio we're currently occupying in Helsinki, Finnish President Sauli Niinisto voiced the alarm, saying we have long been accustomed to living with the idea that next year things will be even better. Such a turn that suddenly this is no longer the case is difficult and it may indeed also affect the unity of Europe. Good evening, I'm Jonathan Hessen and this is TV7 Europa Stands. As part of today's discussion, we will aim to dissect Europe's list of challenges and hopefully instill some optimism into what appears to be a bleak reality. To do so, we're joined by General Klaus Naumann, who is the former Chief of General Staff of the Bundeswehr and Chairman of NATO's Military Committee. Dr. Rafael Bardaki, CEO of Worldwide Strategy, who formerly served as Spanish National Security Advisor. Glad to be here. Dr. Bruno Tetre, who is the Director Adjoint of the French Foundation pour la Recherche Stratégique, who formerly served as a Senior Advisor to the Director of Strategic Affairs at the French Ministry of Defense, Mr. Timo Soini, who is Finland's former Minister of Foreign Affairs and Deputy Premier. Uh, thank you for joining us as well. Thank you. General Klaus, we'll uh, start with you uh, as usual. What do you see as the most um, challenging point within the current reality from over the course of the past month and a half, if you will, um, and whether you could provide us some optimism into this bleak reality, which uh, the president of Finland uh, so heartedly or disheartedly pointed out. Well, there are some positive developments, and one starts with Finland and with Sweden, that these two countries are about to join NATO is a fantastic development, which I think uh, achieves just the opposite of what Mr. Putin wanted to achieve. He wanted to, to, to weaken the West, to weaken Europe, to weaken NATO, and he achieved the opposite if these two countries will join. But uh, all in all, uh, <coughs> it's difficult to instill optimism, since our societies are confronted with something they have presumably never seen before. There is no prospect of things getting better soon. They're getting more complex. The, our societies are not used to real crisis, to real uh, necessity to renounce of something. And in addition, that would be my second point, <coughs> for our politicians, the task gets more and more complex and difficult. This is a, a mixture of different crises. We have the big picture, climate change, inflation, economy has to change, and in addition, war is being waged in Europe, and there are other hotspots popping up, looking to the, in the closest distance, Bosnia-Herzegovina, 
to the Middle East and Iran in particular, and then just recently Taiwan and the Far East. So I think I've never seen before in my life such a complex mixture of problems and so little prospect that a solution will be around soon. Indeed, Dr. Bradaki. Well, I agree with General Nauman in the sense that we are not living in a flat wall from the political perspective. We are more in a three-dimensional reality, or if you want a, a kind of uh, rubic cube uh, problem. No, we, we, Klaus mentioned the economic underlying situation, energy, the war, Taiwan visits, and the problem with China. There's still the lack of an American clear leadership and, uh, and back to the wall. Uh, problem that we had been with us for the case, like Iranian nuclear problem reaching a point of no return. So there are too many things for a government, probably, that in my experience, government only can deal with one single problem at a time. And now they are overwhelmed. It's like a computer. When you open too many windows, they crashed. And I think there is also a feeling from the population that the institutions are not up to the task, from the European Union to domestic institutions. So are we in a, in a turning point in our, let's say, political civilization? Is our democratic system <coughs> in a point where we need to rethink many of the pillars uh, for the better, or are we succumbing on, uh, in a slopery slope uh, road to the major crisis? I don't know. It's an open question I leave on the table. Dr. Terte? I'm going to give you a touch of optimism. Mm. Uh, who would have thought that nearly six months after the beginning of the uh, invasion of Ukraine, uh, both the EU and NATO would have maintained their unity to the point of regarding the EU, adopting six packs of six packages of sanctions granted with discussions with some exemptions but these sanctions are holding the unity is still there no country in the eu is asking for their uh, being uh, alleviated and regarding nato not only nato is going to very soon we hope welcome two uh, great uh, european nations but nato has adapted a new strategic concepts uh, a new it may be a new not a vision but at least it's a solid operational concept from my standpoint and uh, despite some you know discussions internally of course including with turkey which remains sometimes a, a problem in the transatlantic family nato's unity is there and solid so who would have predicted that nearly six months after the beginning of the war both these institutions would still be solid and fairly united I think that despite the problems that we see on the horizon, we'll talk about them, uh, it's not such a bad result. So that's your touch of optimism. Some silver lining indeed, <laughs> Mr. Soini. Yeah, I, I hope that I could be a little bit more op optimistic, but I think that uh, uh, people in Finland and also in other countries, they have used their savings uh, of, uh, under the COVID time. They have had something in storage. Now they have maybe spent them. Now the credit card month is ongoing because the holidays are on. And then autumn hits uh, because uh, the price of electricity, price of gas, price of oil, price of food joined to the inflation. It's a paralyzing uh, paradigm. But there are... Slight glimmers of hope, for example, U.S., the inflation 
did uh, turn down a little bit from 9.1 to 8.5 or something like that. But it's very harsh. And then also here in Finland, now the unions are trying to get the good pay rises and, and then the political uh, crisis, uh, both in London and Italy, what is going to happen. I think in UK, there will be a new prime minister and things are ongoing. But in Italy, what would happen? Uh, and uh, and uh, then, of course, the good news, uh, NATO, uh, Finland and Sweden joining NATO. I remember when I was a foreign minister, I was uh, every now and then uh, got a good hiding to be an overexcited uh, to the leading to the West. And now there are uh, quite many people skiing with the same track. And uh, But uh, in politics, it's not just to be a right. You must be a right at the right time. <laughs> well, uh, indeed, those are a long list of, of both challenges, uh, which uh, are tainted with some pessimism, as well as opportunities and, and uh, uh, indications of at least some unity in, in some angles within uh, the European construct. Uh, but I'd like to touch uh, briefly on this NATO strategic concept, if we will. Um, to what degree, and, and let's look at the positive of this angle, uh, operationally speaking, there are plenty of uh, discussions that went through uh, a, a very vigorous debate, uh, and it seems that ultimately something was produced within that uh, meeting in uh, the city of Madrid. So uh, there is some unity, some understanding that ultimately uh, was brought forward. General Nauman? Well, uh, I agree with Bruno. Uh, the, this concept is an operational paper which uh, was developed during a time of war. And uh, the real trick NATO achieved is that they maintained unity. To, I know what it means to keep nations behind one remote objective but that they managed to have an operational idea what they want to achieve within the next couple of years and that they all uh, rallied behind this objective. That is an achievement which we should not belittle too much. It is a, in days of war and crisis, it's a huge achievement and I think that is a note of optimism we have to maintain. Indeed, Dr. Baraki. Uh, well, I don't want to sound cynical, but I think uh, the orchestra or the band of the Titanic played very united until <laughs> the end and they sank. Uh, <laughs> what I say is unity is good to have more than diversity, obviously, but if you have the right uh, decisions on the table. Uh, um, I, I have many doubts that NATO and the European Union are reacting to the invasion of Ukraine with the right policy and the right approach. On the strategic concept, has been said here, it's not a vision, it's not a concept, it's something else. But thanks God we had the war in Ukraine, because if not, probably NATO will be another woke institution playing with climate change and genderism issues. Uh, but we have a war, NATO had a, a, a traditional enemy back again, Russia, from the Soviet Union, so they, they knew how to, to tackle the, this kind of threat. No? On the rest, I think NATO is uh, as ignorant or lack of imagination as everyone else was many years ago. So I, I, I'm not so convinced that we have a document that will produce a new institution up to the challenges of the coming years, not the, the, the centuries, just the, around the corner. Dr. Uh, Tertre? 
I think the NATO strategy, I mean, as defined by the strategic concept, and I think we all agree that it's not really a vision. It's quite a boring text, but for the expert, there are, uh, there are a couple of points which are really interesting. First of all, it's very clear-eyed on Russia. Uh, it does not say formally we will no longer cooperate with Russia, but the message, the implicit message is clear. Uh, we can no longer, uh, it's <coughs> actually explicit, we can now no longer treat Russia as a partner. Uh, that's, that's pretty clear. We will defend every inch or every centimeter, depending on which country you live in, of NATO territories. So the message is very, very clear. I think it also updates the NATO strategy on three points, at least. Uh, one, uh, it gives a warning to Russia and to any other actor uh, that um, if you attack us in cyber or in space, we may respond with kinetic force. It's, it's a fairly clear uh, message. I'll be glad to hear what uh, General Norman has to hear about that. So there's an update about and uh, some flexibility given in the implementation of the so-called Article 5 of the treaty, the, the one for all, uh, all for one. It does mention China and Asia, which is good because we live in an interconnected world, uh, but without saying that, and from my point of view it's good, without saying that, uh, uh, you know, there is a military threat from China, there is a problem, there is a strategic challenge, uh, there are challenges from China, but not military threats per se against Europe. So it's an update, but a prudent update. And finally, there is also a good uh, section on EU-NATO cooperation, which is positive because we don't want, at the times where like these, the West needs to be united and we don't want these two institutions to compete. So overall, I mean, I think it's a fairly good result. Um, and more importantly, I think that there is no reason to think that there were heated debate within the room, in the room, so to say. Uh, there's, uh, there's, I mean, whatever happened in the room, the image of unity is there, and it's a defeat for Russia. Indeed. Uh, we will touch base on, on uh, uh, the Turkish-Greek angle of yeah, this. Of may, may I say that there's, let's not forget that the second threat after Russia is terrorism. NATO does not forget about the threat of terrorism, which can wake up on European uh, soil any time. Uh, so let's not forget about that. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Mr. Soini. I think that uh, there are glimmers of hope in, in that sense that I was very, very sad and sorry to see how U.S. left Afghanistan. And I think that was a huge uh, missuccess. And uh, it was a kind of the wrong message to China and Russia that uh, we are leaving, we are going out, uh, what kind of model that uh, showed to dictatorships uh, to, 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 to operate. Was that but, a contributing factor to the situation right now in Russia? Uh, I think uh, that this is uh, one piece in the puzzle where, where they anticipated how strongly West would react because what, uh, how the West did react to Crimea. And uh, of course it was a, a strong reaction, but after eight, uh, seven, eight years, it uh, was melting down a bit and maybe they say that, okay, we can swallow a bit more, but they couldn't. And that is why the revival and uh, the backlash what the NATO and the West did when Russian uh, illegal uh, attack to, to Ukraine came, I think this react shows some positives uh, from NATO side, from American side, 
and also from the European side. But the big factor is who is uh, kind of the, uh, who are now leading the Europe. It used to be Germany and France. Is it now Poland? Uh, who is in charge? Uh, who, who really gives that commitment but that we are staying with you, Ukraine? Because now when the bad times coming, economic depression, inflation and so forth, people can see that, okay, of course we will be solidaric, we don't accept the aggression, but how would I live? How would I pay my gas bill? How would I uh, live over? Gerald Nauman? Uh, let me just come back on, on one point which Timo just mentioned. Uh, Afghanistan was the big defeat of Western solidarity and credibility. And that is to some extent correct, was corrected by the NATO strategic concept since mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this message is clear, one for all and all for one. And uh, of course we have to wait and see whether we will be able to stand the test and that is true with all concepts. It's true for the strategic compass of the European Union as well. What is decisive is what nations make of it, whether they really enter their commitments and meet their commitments. If that will happen, and at the moment I'm still full of optimism that they will do it because they're confronted with uh, Mr. Putin's criminal acts in Ukraine. And there's one point, Timo, where I slightly disagree. The reaction on Crimea was not strong. It was, in my view, soft. And particularly soft in Germany, a year after the Crimea event, after this set of sanctions, Germany signed the North Stream 2 agreement. Yeah. A strategic stupidity beyond any imagination. And that is something which we need to understand in the future. It's not just to, to enter a military commitment, it has to be an all-encompassing strategy which undoubtedly and, and mandatorily requires a very close cooperation between NATO and the European Union. Let me just ask though, uh, when we're talking, I hear much of unity within NATO and within uh, Europe, but uh, one of the issues, and that was also Annalena Baerbock, the foreign minister of Germany, traveled to Greece. She traveled subsequently to Turkey uh, with a message of let's try and resolve the issue between the two of you when it comes to the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, the, the ongoing perpetual search in disputed waters uh, of uh, natural resources. Uh, and while both sides are very hostile to one another, to say the least, tensions are once again simmering in, in this uh, uh, region, uh, Minister Bayerbock highlighted that if they're not able to resolve their issues, this is going to have implications vis-a-vis -vis Ukraine and Russia as well. Uh, what can you see from, from this perspective? Well, in, in principle, she is right. But in my view, she didn't get uh, quite right is that she uh, clearly took side with one of the two sides in an issue which is legally still debated and has to remain open until the European Court will eventually take a decision on the famous agreement. It needs to be said, she took the side of Greece, of course. Yeah, she yes. took the side of Greece, and that is, 
Well, if, if one goes as a foreign minister to Turkey and confronts a Turkish foreign minister in front of the international media uh, with such a clear-cut statement, one will have difficulties to come back with him in the search for a compromise. If, and if that is done in an Islamic country by a lady, it's, it makes it even more difficult. Even though uh, Minister Mivlucci Vushoglu was more careful with uh, the German foreign minister than he was to, with uh, the Swedish one prior. But uh, Dr. Bardachi, what is your take on this? Uh, uh, well, I have to say, first of all, that I'm quite confused huh? in the sense that, uh, okay, NATO has been very successful in uh, preventing any aggression against the member state of NATO, Article 5 and Article 6 to some extent. Uh, but you have to believe, uh, assume that uh, an attack was planning or coming from Russia into some of the member states, which is something which has not been proved yet to my own view. No? Second, in the case of preventing an aggression against uh, non-formal members, but in the future be uh, like Ukraine, we, we failed miserably We've, because we are talking about from Ukraine to now, uh, to Crimea to now. Uh, but what uh, is more confusing to me is that what is the end state that NATO wants to see in Ukraine? Are we go to the status quo ante with Crimea in the hands of Russia? Do we want like uh, Zelensky to expel all the Russians from all Ukraine soil? or like the American White House has been pointing, what we want is uh, to weaken Russia perpetually in the future. So that I, I'm not sure that we are united in the goal, in the strategic goals we are pursuing in this conflict. No? That's why, okay, we can celebrate that we didn't uh, hit each other in Madrid. Uh, not, 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 nothing happened of, this, of that kind in the, in the past. But I'm not sure about the unity in what we want to see and how do we are going to approach and have it in the, in the future, really. I think Raphael is right. He has put his finger on an important point. On paper, we are united because we support the complete sovereignty and territorial integrity of Ukraine within its internationally recognized borders. And that means very clearly uh, that on paper, we do want Kiev to control again the Donbass and Crimea. Uh, but we have to think now about what happens if uh, Ukrainian forces actually uh, multiply their tactical and operational successes to the point that they actually threaten U.S. forces, uh, sorry, Russian forces in Crimea and the Donbass. That's not for now, but it could happen uh, sooner rather than later. I, I'm putting the, my optimist's hat once again. Maybe it will happen only in a year from now, Maybe it will happen in a month from now. We don't know. I do think that this is going to be a strategic failure for Russia. By the way, I'm not using these words uh, out of my um, um, out of thin air. Out of thin air. It's now the exact expression which is used in Washington to uh, describe what the end goal should be. Not a strategic defeat, but a strategic failure. This means that the White House and the Pentagon are prudent in the way uh, they uh, don't want to see the message be misinterpreted by Russia. It's not about the U.S. militarily defeating Russia. It's about seeing Russia taking a beating in Ukraine. 
we're well on the way to that, but it's not over yet far from now. So I think uh, Raphael is absolutely right to say we have to, we're not yet clear, all of us, I mean, together about the end game. Can I say a few words about Greece and Turkey or have I Please. spoken for too long? Already? No, no, go ahead. Um, it's very interesting what's happening now regarding the Eastern Med because on the one hand, uh, Erdogan's Turkey has never ceased, has never stopped. Uh, provoking uh, Greece in the agency, but up until literally this week, he was fairly prudent regarding uh, oil and gas exploration in the Eastern Med in the economic uh, ex exclusive economic zones of Cyprus uh, uh, and Greece. Now he is launching another uh, exploration vessel. Um, he has to be careful because he has gained some reputation as a country actually able to have good relations with Russia and even being the mediator on the um, um, uh, export of grain. We'll see where, the, where it goes. You know, there's an agreement on paper. Let's see after one month if it's still hold. But I have to admit that he has successfully managed to present himself as a mediator. But if he once again provokes uh, the, uh, the other countries in the region, uh, including non-members of NATO, by uh, sending vessels in disputed waters, then his reputation may take a beating. So let's France wait and remains see. committed to uh, Athens in, in this equation. Yes, cl clearly, uh, we. I mean, my country is fully committed behind Athens. We have signed actually a mutual defense agreement that links us, in addition to our EU obligations, so are very firmly. But I think that honestly, I support my country's position on this because. Our, we first and foremost support international law, uh, we support peaceful resolution of disputes, and we support a fellow EU member. It's not against Turkey per se, but it's for Greece, and that's, that makes a difference. Uh, Mr. Soini? Uh, I think that uh, uh, what will happen is now very interesting, and, and saying that, what did happen after the Crimea uh, illegal annexation? It happened 2014, just after Sochi Olympics. There was troops gathering. Nobody believed that it would happen. It was troops gathering now, and nobody really wanted wanted to believe that the aggression comes from the borders. And when I started uh, as a foreign minister, 2015, 2019. There was this Normandy format all over. Four years, Germany, France, Ukraine and Russia negotiating, negotiating with Minsk agreement to fulfill it. Four years. What happened? Nothing happened. So what is the new leadership for Europe? What is the new structure to go for further when some kind of peace agreement will be dealt with? And I, I think that kind of format is not very tempting to, to see what, what happened. Well, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, your president here in Finland, Ninisto, yeah. uh, actually said that he expects the war to expand, to enlarge, yeah, to yeah, go into other areas as well. Do you see this as something that uh, could happen? Of course, you're speaking about uh, uh, the... Uh, uh, shock that everybody experienced yeah, yeah. about uh, Russia actually following through on what has been saying all along. 
but uh, ultimately, when uh, thunder strikes, as uh, Jules Verne used to say, yeah. uh, you know, men start uh, being afraid of uh, lightning. So, yeah, that's right. Isn't yeah. this the time to actually uh, understand that uh, reality <laughs> is reality, and we should take it for what it is? Yeah, and and of course, nobody wants to any kind of escalation. But for example, there has been a lot of talking and rumors will Belarus will be dragged in or forced into this conflict and what would that uh, cause uh, in in the borders of Belarus concerning to Poland and and then the the chance of accident happening some kind of conflict or and, and this this kind of accident is also a real threat what comes to Greece and Turkey because there are uh, uh, f f f Air, 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 airplanes coming and going, and 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 of course we we do want to have this conflict uh, in a way uh, inside, but there are now talking. If if I understood it correctly, Ukraine did hit to Crimea to the Russian uh, airplanes, and and uh, there has been talking uh, which hasn't happened yet, but uh, what if Ukraine operates in the Russian soil. General Nauman? Let me just inject uh, one thought. Um, we talked about the end state in Ukraine earlier on. Uh, I, be I believe uh, it's not in, in our hands to define the end state. It is a sovereign country which was attacked and whose territory is occupied. Should we ever, from the outside, try to tell the Ukrainians what they should accept. Mm -hmm. We would indirectly accept that the use of force is a legitimate instrument to change borders. And that is something we definitely must never accept. Mm -hmm. And that is something which I think we should all agree upon. Uh, the definition what the borders of Ukraine will be in a, in a peace agreement, when, whenever it will come. The definition has to come from Ukraine, not from us. I'd like to move on from Ukraine and uh, enter into the rest of Europe. Uh, one of the key issues that also Mr. Uh, Soini mentioned was uh, the fact that uh, autumn will strike at some point and winter is coming, uh, which ultimately, uh, with a lack of energy, with inflation, with multiple uh, grim outlooks on the current state of play, um, every household in Europe is going to be impacted in one way or another. Uh, and at a time when political instability uh, exists uh, in multiple capitals, of course, we saw uh, various uh, governments reemerge, also in Estonia and elsewhere, but uh, we saw also uh, the situation with Mario Draghi uh, seeking to uh, leave office, uh, of course, being rejected by the president of uh, Italy. but. Uh, uh, we will see elections there. Uh, London, uh, Boris Johnson uh, has uh, found that it's uh, not easy to stay in office uh, uh, in this day and I'm, age. I'm partying at the same time. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Um, nonetheless, uh, I, has the coin dropped when it comes to uh, the reality at, uh, at hand? Because most Europeans have not experienced what is about to occur. General Nauman, we'll start with you. Well, I mentioned this point in the, when you asked me the first question today. We are living in societies which have always seen 
an upward move. Things got better and better, and our people got, let's say, presents by our politicians without asking the question who will pay for that. Um, they are used to this sweet life. Now, something will come back, which I have seen when I was a young boy of five and six. Um, we have to return to the normalcy of human life, which always knows upward moves and downward and upward again. And now we are in a situation where the downward move will come and our societies have to get used to it. That requires a political leadership, which is not too often seen in Europe in these days. Indeed. Dr. Bardachi, I'd like to hear your take on this, but also from not only member states, of course, Spain has been dealing with uh, unemployment and, and multiple challenges, especially with the current government um, successfully illustrating what incompetence is all about. Uh, but at the same time, we, we can also speak about uh, the European institution, which has uh, not really managed uh, to contend initially uh, with the response uh, when COVID occurred. It didn't really know how to handle that crisis. And slowly, slowly, we, we realized that in good times, it's a great institution, but in bad times, it seems to falter. And uh, uh, some may say that if uh, the uh, European institution would try and uh, apply to become a member of the European uh, uh, Union, it would fail to do so for lack of uh, democratic values. Um, are you well, willing to uh, engage I, I, that thought? I think, I think we have principles and we have interest. Um, the strategic question is how much are you willing to pay for maintaining your principles alive? You know? uh, General Nauman mentioned that uh, in the Charter of Paris in the early 90s, we sealed the principle of not changing the borders by forcing Europe anymore. Uh, just to see how the Balkans disintegrated and the borders were changed by, with blood. No? The problem or the issue was that for us, the outcome of the Balkans war were more aligned with our interests than with our principles. Now in Ukraine, it's the, it's the opposite. We don't want Russia to take benefit of those movements. But at some point, people will say, okay, how much I'm gonna pay for the price of the uh, kilowatts uh, just because I'm opposing the moves in Ukraine by Russia? How much I'm gonna pay in taxes in order to keep you know, the institution we have building. Uh, I think it's in times of crisis, those questions should be asked to politicians and we should expect some answers. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm living in a country where inc incompetent people are everywhere and, and, and the, 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 the solutions are mostly wrong. So I don't, I don't expect much of that. And I think it will create a, a profound discontent. And I see also in other countries as well. No? Uh, and that's a problem because if you become disengaged from the democratic, democratic institutions, what is the alternative? Uh, and, 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 and as Timo mentioned, we are heading to a uh, stagflation probably in Europe. We have a war open. We are supporting in a third way uh, the resistance of the Ukraine against Russia. We don't, we don't want to escalate enough or fast enough to, to win clearly uh, there. So we don't want to uh, enrage the Chinese with uh, actions or declarations. So we are muddling through. Uh, I'm not sure we will be able to do that politically, sincerely. Dr. Tertre? 
Uh, you're actually inciting me to put my optimistic hat on once Please again. Please do. <laughs> Let's see. Well, first of all, things are not getting worse every day. Look at the price of oil, for instance. It has now come down to under $100 a barrel. Uh, it's not that bad. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. uh, it's already something. Look at uh, the uh, job market. Some countries, like mine, but not only mine, are hugely benefiting from the post-COVID uh, um, uh, upward tick in, uh, in growth. And we have you know, almost, we're getting near what economists call full, full employment, which is not full, but it's like 3 to 5%. For the first time in nearly 50 years, uh, we in our country, in my, my country at least, and a couple of other European countries also, where we can think of a future where pretty much everyone who wants to work can actually uh, get, uh, get a job. It's not so bad. Now, you are right, winter is coming. We need to fasten uh, seed bells. It's, it's not going to be a, a great winter. I, thought, I think that the challenge, there are two challenges. One, be realistic. Uh, and not uh, and not rely on ideology when you be pragmatic and when you need to uh, deal with questions such as energy. Um, I I know about the debates in Germany regarding uh, uh, nuclear generated en uh, electricity. Uh, I'm I'm baffled by the fact that it's still Germany has not yet understood that even though you want you're a sovereign country you want to get rid of nuclear power it's your so your sovereign right but you can't, you should not do it now. And you need to, I mean, frankly, and I'm saying that because there is a strong interconnection between uh, the grids of uh, uh, all European countries, you know, Spain, Germany, uh, you know, the, France, we were very interconnected. So sometimes we sell electricity to Germany, sometimes, you know, Germany sells electricity to us. I think for the benefit of Europe, uh, the current German government really should uh, take a second look at this and uh, do not close your power plants. I mean, it's just too early to... You do not mind if I agree entirely with you, since I do not want to be called stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's just... So, pragmatism is c and common sense, that's the first requirement. The second requirement is about um, uh, uh, leading the narrative. Mm -hmm. The narrative is now taking place in some court political quarters in Europe, and in many parts of uh, European public opinion, according to which, it's because of the sanctions. And some political forces are using this narrative, either because they are stupid or because they are malevolent. Um, no, the situation is not because of the sanctions. It's much more because of the war and because of the Russian strategy. Remember that before the war began, before February, even uh, almost a year ago, Russia started manipulating the gas market and the price of gas. So it may be a little bit about sanctions, but it's mostly about uh, the war itself and Putin's strategic decision. So um, maintaining the narrative, controlling the narrative will be extremely important. I hope that our European leaders and governments will be uh, able to do that. And we all have a responsibility here. Indeed. Mr. I, I, I will start with some positives, and I think uh, NATO uh, has uh, now got the wake-up call, and it is good that uh, NATO is now the organization uh, what, uh, what this was founded for, and not uh, to join 
that we are the world, we are the children, Gumbaya and everything else. <laughs> and without this crisis, we would have been talking in the Madrid that what, what about the LBGT rights in the NATO forces in the coming, uh, coming, uh, coming 10 years. So, so we are back to the basic, what, what, really, uh, what really counts. And then the other thing, I think, this energy thing, as long as people uh, have access, uh, they are ready to pay. But if people in Germany is running out of hot bath water, then we are in a trouble. If it, if, if it costs 10% more, we can tolerate, we can live it. But if we are running out, if there would be cuts uh, to, to electricity and the, the gas, the, then it's very hard to, to say to the Finnish people that put your air conditioning off as long as, uh, German, uh, as, long as China and India is, is uh, uh, piling a, coi, uh, a coal to the ma machines. I think there is quite the difference, though, between the weather <laughs> conditions here in Finland to those I in think, France, uh, we Spain, are, we are safe, We are safe and sound here. They because need the sauna. Though. We, we need the sauna and we have turf and we can, uh, can have everything else. But I think political instability is, is one of the biggest threats even so, we must uh, admit that uh, the people in the democracy, they don't vote the wrong way. And it seems to me that the peoples in the European establishment are afraid of Italian elections. Not elections themselves, but the outcome of the elections. And I think this goes to the many countries in, in Europe. And then there are really big elections, midterm elections, we don't have right to vote, but I think it will have a huge effect also to Europe, what will happen in the US. Indeed, absolutely. Uh, General Nauman, uh, there was uh, a uh, Colombian writer, uh, Nicolas uh, Gomez Davila, who uh, is widely translated uh, in German, uh, who argued that truths are not relative. What is relative, he insisted, are opinions about the truth. Um, and <laughs> while European institutions unyieldingly obsess, uh, and not only European institutions at large, but also within nation states, um, with dressing truth with opinions of woke idealism in times of strife, uh, of strife, excuse me, reality kicks in. Uh, will reality kick in for the Greens in Germany, who are currently in government uh, and have uh, placed uh, much of their campaign on uh, fighting? Uh, in the last 20 years or so, uh, the whole nuclear energy and, and uh, so on, will they now realize that without it, uh, Germans will get cold in winter? Well, I think uh, there is a reorientation taking place in German public opinion. Uh, the Green Party, which advocated uh, to abandon nuclear energy once and for all, is rethinking their views. Uh, some 40 or 50 percent of the Green politicians are now thinking of a prolongation, at least, uh, which was incredible just two years ago. And uh, some Green understand that if one looks at climate change, presumably the cleanest energy to prevent climate change to get out of control is nuclear energy. So How convenient. Uh, I think they, they start to rethink the tragedy for the Germans is that it was a skilled physician mm. who took this decision 
uh, in the desire uh, to, to attract as many voters as possible and to detract them from the Queen. That was a short-sighted electoral uh, consideration which did damage to Germany and to the German economy. Dr. Baranaki? Well, in the case of Spain, it's different because uh, what is happening now is that the new left uh, battle is fought in, in, in Spain. No? It's not the old Greens, it's the new Greens which are in government in Spain and they have doubled the, the, the bet on renewables and all kinds of expensive energies uh, and not a word about reconsidering any possibility of nuclear uh, power plants. No? Uh, whether the moderate left or the radical left we are suffering in Spain nowadays are the one to be on the winning side in the future, I don't know. But uh, unfortunately, if the, the left in Spain is the prevailing force for the future of Europe, we are all, all doomed. We go back to the Middle, Egypt, Middle Ages. No? Uh, yesterday, the new law to, re to reduce the consumption of energy in Spain was to put air conditioning 27 degrees. Uh, which is a heating, actually, apparatus instead of a cooling <laughs> one. Uh, and, uh, and also uh, uh, switching off all the lights from shop windows at 10 o'clock at night, which will create an insecure uh, dramatically in the, in the downtown in the cities. No? And you go now to Spain, unfortunately, as a, as a tourist attraction, uh, you will be in the dark, and, uh, which is a kind of universe of crazy people no? <laughs> taking these decisions. No? Uh, 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 it's the Confederacy of Dances. Uh, so I, I hope that the Germans uh, go back to the, some common sense. Unfortunately, there are other places where the common sense is not common anymore. And, uh, and, and I come from this peculiar world, and uh, that's why maybe I'm not so optimistic as Bruno and the rest of my uh, colleagues here. Dr. Tetre? <laughs> Uh, just, just a couple of words on uh, the, 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 the Greens. Uh, I used to look at the German Greens uh, in admiration because in France, the Greens, unfortunately, are a radical force completely, well, not completely, almost completely divorced from reality, at least. In Germany, they always had the debate between uh, uh, realists and fundamentalists. I mean... Uh, I mean, from, from a French standpoint, <coughs> your Greens, uh, General, are much more realistic. So I hope they get uh, really, um, uh, they go uh, all the way, which I just call it pragmatism. In terms of climate change, the Greens are very realistic, and we owe them a lot that they drew our attention to that. No, the thing, one, one of the big debates of European and Western societies in general is, uh, is today balancing between long-term problems and short-term problems. And with the fires that we've seen throughout Europe today, rightly or wrongly, the, the question of climate change is becoming even more important in the eyes of a large segment of the population. So we used to have a debate on people fighting versus, uh, people fighting for, um, it's, in French it was la fin du monde contre la fin du mois, the end of the world or the end of the month. Are you fighting against, uh, you know, it's a, and it's a very telling prospect because it, it does show that sometimes you can't just tell people, oh, you have to think about the future of the planet. They can't make ends meet. And sometimes these debates about, uh, you know, reducing heating, for instance, uh, it's very difficult for people who 
barely can get 15 or 16 degrees in central, in poor central European countries at the, you know, in some Bulgarian campaign, if you tell them, oh, you have to go to 19, they say, hey, that's heating for me. <laughs> so, no, I'm, I'm serious. So, all, I mean, all I'm trying to say is that these debates on, you know, taking care of short-term problems without forgetting about long-term problems is the sort of dilemmas that is posed for uh, the Greens, but it's overall, it's much more than that. It's, con it's this constant debate that uh, uh, we have to all grapple with. So I think it's very easy for us to talk about uh, governments should do this and should do that, etc. We have to accept also the fact that uh, uh, balancing short-term and long-term priorities is always a very difficult thing to do for any government minister. Mm -hmm. You you weren't government. Yeah, 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 I know. I well, know. failing governments ultimately <laughs> are usually over-managed and under-led. Uh, Mr. Soini, yeah. your take? Yeah, I, I think that uh, there, there would be and should be a big lesson to learn to, to send the right parties and all around the Europe. If you now, when people are worried, they are afraid even and, and, and so if the only thing that the centre-right is now offering is the cuts to the public sector and to the benefits, they, they, are, they are scaring uh, the, the people away. Mm -hmm. What they should be, they should be pro-families, pro-entorship, for creating jobs, for, for positive approach that uh, increasing amount of work, we are increasing the well-being of the people. And this kind of concept would challenge the state controlled uh, money giving benefit uh, uh, overcooked welfare state but i'm afraid that this won't happen and i think this will extremely pay the price that the people which are the motors so called the middle class if they are on, on the what grounds they would vote if they would vote for the family for the business for, for the stability, for the security, they would get the votes. But if the agenda is hijacked by climate or something else, they would lose. I don't want to uh, undermine climate, but uh, who, who will uh, set the agenda to the elections? He will win. General Nauman? Well, in, in principle, I agree with you, Timo, but the big problem is um, all these short to midterm solutions yeah, yeah. are there yeah. to satisfy the adult voters. But we are about to risk to lose the young people. They want what we missed in the NATO strategic concept. They want a vision. They want to see solutions which may help them to believe that there is a future for them. And that, I think, is closely connected to climate change. If we do not wake up and tell them we can make it and we have ways to do it, then we risk to lose the young people. And that, I think, would, in my view, be the biggest danger to democracy. With that being said, in Spain, when you're talking about uh, <clears throat> 50 percent under uh, 25 years old are being unemployed, uh, yeah. Climate change is not on the top of their priorities, I would uh, say. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be. The problem is that when you have a government which is too radical, it's setting a, a radical agenda. But at some point, I have to say that it's not, it's, it's, it's not 
palatable anymore to see cuts in energy imposed by a government or a prime minister who wave from the step from helicopter to travel 30 kilometers to airbase to take a plane to go on holidays. At some point, the whole game will crumble down and the people will say, enough. No? Uh, I don't know how long it will take, but I think it we, may have, we must pay attention, and, and, and not trying to be populist, but we must pay attention to this growing difference between the middle classes which are going down in Europe and those uh, establishments, let's say, uh, ruling ours, uh, our societies, because the, 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 the gap is growing and I think it's unsustainable for any healthy democratic system. No? Well, we're drawing near to the end of the program. We have about five and a half minutes left, so I'd like to get uh, each and every one of you uh, your take on, on uh, where are we heading from here. We started quite uh, in a bleak note uh, on uh, the current state of play in continental Europe, also uh, obviously beyond, but uh, ultimately when we look on a holistic level, uh, within the context also of strategic competition, as we see China also playing more of a, a game with the United States. Europe is still trying to figure out uh, its role within this composition. Uh, Dr. Tartre, we'll start with you. Uh, is there hope for Europe in this sense? Look, uh, Europe has been buried so many times uh, that uh, uh, everyone is still amazed that it still uh, lives. I remember the uh, Euro crisis and to the financial crisis and the Euro crisis. The number of American and British friends who were absolutely persuaded, they were telling me that of course the Euro is doomed, of course the EU will not survive. You know, uh, we've passed that. Each time in a crisis, uh, whatever you think of the nature of the European project, the fact is that each crisis makes Europe stronger more than weaker. Uh, so, and yet the euro and the dollar are roughly on the same. Uh, oh yes, level that this, that yeah. has happened before. That has happened before. You know, it was the case 10, 15 years ago mm -hmm. or something. So I'm pretty confident uh, about the EU because past crises have shown that even under even populist governments are not ready to bank on the future of the EU. And by the way, many of these populist governments often depend on common funding from, from the EU. So I'm fairly confident about the existence of the EU. To answer your question very quickly, I would say when you're faced with a myriad of problems, try to segment them and go from the most oppressing and urgent to the, to the more distant one. So most urgent and pressing, go through the winter. Uh, again, it's not going to be easy, uh, but go through the winter. Make sure that Ukraine prevails in the war. And only afterwards, uh, if possible, look at global problems such as Asia and climate change. I'm not saying that we should not care about climate change now, but there has to be a hierarchy and there have to be priorities. Mr. Soini? Uh, I think that uh, if we can uh, uh, reconnect uh, the good relationships with U.S., UK and Europe, we are going to do much better. For example, the TTIP uh, negotiations and all kind of commercial systems uh, would be a good answer. We are not heading to the globalist world, but we can head for the, the good uh, uh, cooperation with Anglo-Saxon uh, world, which could lead the world, which nobody is leaving now, leading now. General Nauman? Well, for me, the key question is, 
We have to maintain unity in Europe and we have to do everything that Europe will become capable of acting, if necessary, independently, since that is the only instrument which keep, will keep the Americans on our side. And we will need them. Yeah. And we have to do this before the election of 2024 uh, will take place, since that could be the next crisis which may loom over the horizon if the Europeans remain weak and divided. Dr. Baradachi? Well, in one sentence, I think we need an America which is stronger and with a clear vision and with a much more proactive attitude in the world than today. Are we expecting years. a shift in Washington in the near future? Probably not. Probably, Probably not. All right. Well, uh, of course, there are, there are many topics that we have yet to discuss, uh, uh, including in the Netherlands, particularly the Boeren, uh, very um, frustrated with uh, the current uh, government's uh, decision mm -hmm. to follow through on, on multiple uh, directives from the European Union, which are not always conformed with reality on the ground in, in particular states, uh, something that uh, uh, hopefully we will be able to discuss in the next time around, uh, as well as uh, the situation in Taiwan vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, China, the United States, and Europe has played a role in this, uh, if I remember correctly. Even pacifist Germany had uh, uh, at times uh, some uh, vessels, uh, frigates, uh, in the South China Sea. Participate right now in the exercise Pacific Rim. Indeed, indeed, Pacific Rim will have uh, uh, significant consequences, or at least uh, so uh, I've been told. But uh, this is all the time that we have for today. So I'd like to thank General Nailman, Dr. Barahi, Dr. Tatre, and Mr. Soini for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time for yet another episode of TV7 Europa Stands. And until then, wishing you a good evening. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.